Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 50, brought to you by the five folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. And as always, here to break down the quarterback world is quarterback one in my hearts, in our minds. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark, brother, how you doing? I'm alive. Yeah. We are alive. We have survived the bulk of the week here down in Mobile, which Honestly, the Vegas odds on that, both of us surviving, they probably weren't great, but we yeah. overcame the odds. Now, to different degrees, because last I saw you, you were say you said you were gonna make some good decisions. And the fact that we're doing this show the next morning, Proves you made it. some good decisions. <laughs> I did. A we did it right last night. We're at the Dauphine's beautiful, beautiful spot. The RSA building down here in Mobile, thirty fourth floor, just Fantastic, fantastic, fantastic dinner. So it's great to be with you. I, I do think we have to do a quick historical reference. You know, we, we're going to keep it a nice, tight show. But since we are in Mobile, there is some history here. And I want to talk about the Battle of Mobile Bay, August 5th, 1864, an engagement during the American Civil War. A Union fleet commanded by Rear Admiral David Farragut attacked a smaller Confederate fleet led by Admiral Franklin Buchanan and the three forts that guarded the entrance to Mobile Bay. And this battle is, this naval battle is famous for the phrase, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Because Farragut gave an order to damn the torpedoes, four bells, Captain Drayton, go ahead, Joette, full speed. He made a rash but successful run through a minefield that had claimed one of his ironclad monitors and allowed his feet to get beyond the range of the shore-based guns. They All they had left to do was just demolished the Confederate fleet down to a single vessel, the CSS Tennessee and ironclad, but they were able to inflict damage on that ironclad. She was eventually reduced to a motionless hulk and surrendered, and with no navy to support them, the three forts also surrendered and gave the Union soldiers complete control over Lower Mobile Bay, which had been the last important port on the Gulf of Mexico, and it ended sort of and it completed the blockade of the Union forces of the Confederate cities in that region. So we got, we're actually living history in a sense here on the QB Sco Show because I can see that area from my hotel room window right now. And we are, and the reason you you say this and you bring this up is because we're going to take a little tour of the uh, of, of the battleship there, right? I, I think still- that's what we're going to do. I think that's what we're going to do a little bit later today because <laughs> we recorded the show Thursday morning, and it was announced Wednesday afternoon that due to inclement weather and rain, they were going to move the practice inside to the practice bubble at the University of South Alabama. I will tell the gentle listeners, I just got back from a beautiful breakfast at a great little spot, spot of tea. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. It is sunny and 65 outside right now, okay? Yeah. It has been 50 and cold, 40 <laughs> and cold the rest of the This is going to be the nicest day of the week, but since practice has moved into a bubble and we were told media prep members could stand in the end zone and watch, yeah. well, that's going to be a tricky little situation because, friends, your boy, not quite six feet. But guys like Jeff Risden, Eric Edholm, there's pushing six five. So yeah. I don't want to go there to watch and write about the back of Jeff Risden's head. It's a nice head. It's a great head. I don't want to write about it. 
<laughs> and it's going to be interesting too. I mean, they're they're giving us logins to stream it and everything like that. So we're going to see how it works out. But I think my historical reference, and it's a really quick one, is Moses wandering through the desert because that's what the Eagles find themselves right now with their offensive coordinator search. And right now we have news. This is from the Inquirer's Jeff McClain on Josh McCown. That's very interesting. This is a possibility that me and you, Mark, had discussed uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, quote, the Eagles discussed with quarterback Josh McCown the idea of returning to the team in a coaching role, possibly as offensive coordinator during his exit interviews, NFL sources told the Inquirer. While it's unclear whether the team offered McCown a position, the 40-year-old veteran told the Eagles that he wasn't ready to officially retire from his playing career. A source said, aside from meeting with Coach Doug Peterson and General Manager Howie Roseman, McCown also sat down with owner Jeffrey Lurie, according to a source. Lori doesn't typically meet with players immediately after the season ends, unquote. So it's very interesting as the Eagles have kind of churned through some of these offensive coordinator prospects. You know, Graham Harrell's not going to be here and the other guys, but Josh McCown as an offensive coordinator, still a possibility. We'll see if he retires or not, but it's something that the Eagles definitely had interest in. So there's that on the Eagles front. Uh, Mark, any, any thoughts on that? Well, first of all, it's great to know that they're listening to the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to hear that. And it was I a think good idea by us. It was a good idea by us. I mean, I still think the idea of Josh McGowan as quarterback coach and a guy like, you know, maybe, maybe it's John Kitna, who I know we talked about. Another yep. name we meant, I, we didn't mention, but we probably should have, was uh, Urban, the quarterback's coach. We might have mentioned him in passing, but the quarterback coach for the Baltimore Ravens. You know, the Eagles do have some time to figure it out. So it's not like a present situation. It's not like we're at the start of training camp. But I do think it's illustrative of how the organization feels about Josh McCown, that they've had these talks and that he, you know, like you said, met with Jeffrey Loria. I mean, that's a good sign that they're looking to bring him back into the fold in one way or another. Yeah. And with Urban, there is there is an update on that from last week. This just shows you how the Eagles search is going. They were looking at Urban, who, who had done a great job with Lamar Jackson, everything like that. But John Harbaugh uh, last week had confirmed that Urban is going to stay on staff. That was after he had interviewed for the vacant offensive coordinator job with the Eagles. So the search continues obviously this is something they're going to delve into in the uh the bgn radio this this week with jimmy kowski and brandon lee gowton so we'll keep you updated on that make sure that you're locked into bleedinggreennation.com they'll have all of your updates but mark the reason we're here down in mobile is to watch these draft prospects and we are a quarterback show and last year the eels took a swing on a senior bowl quarterback in clayton thorson which we did not agree with uh maybe they'll take another swing consi- considering maybe josh mccown isn't back there's the nate sudfeld situation there's there's room to add to this quarterback group for the eagles and obviously they're very interested in shoring up the the backup spot kyle Loletta, former senior bowl uh, quarterback on the practice squad as well so maybe they decide to ride with him but not just for the eagles looking around the league as we look at these quarterbacks i think the big name and the guy that has performed the best has been Oregon's Justin Herbert, which may have been expected. I think it was. But so far, man, he's just been quietly rock solid from what I've seen. What have you what have you thought about Herbert's performance to this point? Yeah, I mean, I think he came into this week sort of as the expected QB1 down here, and I think he's largely lived up to that hype. You know, when you look at Justin Herbert, you see somebody that can make throws with velocity to all levels of the field. You see somebody that can throw that back shoulder ball 
you know, 40, 50 yards downfield. You see somebody that has, I think, an advanced understanding of leverage in man-to-man coverage situations where he knows how to lead his receivers away from danger, how to lead them towards the boundary, towards the sideline, get them upfield, throw to the right shoulder. He does those kind of things well. What's interesting in talking to some people in and around the league down here and sort of that how they view love versus how they view Justin Herbert, you know, it brings it back to the idea of Baker versus Chef. And for many people, you know, they, they look at Justin Herbert as he's the Baker type in this group. You know, I was actually told at breakfast this morning that an NFL front office, and this is one of those, I don't believe I get to do what I do moments, but an NFL front office and talking about the quarterbacks during their scouting meetings down here brought up an article I wrote on the Baker versus Chef, Chef dichotomy to talk about love versus Herbert. For people are viewing, like I said, Herbert as the Baker type that always has to be sort of within the structure of the play, whereas Jordan Love might be the guy that sort of can create a little bit. Mm. Now, the issue with that is it sort of relies too heavily, I think, on the offense that Justin Herbert was running. I think he was sort of handcuffed in that offense. And you've seen a bit more this week of him being able to get outside the constructs of the offense, being able to throw on the move a bit, being able to get around the pocket a bit, being able to use a little bit about it, of his athleticism. And so I think he's largely lived up to the hype. But Jordan Love has had a solid week, too. It hasn't been perfect. He's made some mistakes. He had a shaky start on Tuesday. But I sort of got the impression watching him on Wednesdays that, you know, he went back, either talked to some people or saw some of the film from Tuesday and was like, I need to have a better day Wednesday. And he did that. You know, he can certainly rip the ball. He certainly has talent from the arm strength perspective. He's going to need some time. I don't think he's a plug-and-play rookie, whereas Herbert could be. But Jordan Love has had a pretty good week, too. Yeah, it's interesting because Tuesday I saw mixed reports, and it's always weird how you know NFL Network shows it on their on their end, and how people report on it from there, and the thoughts coming out from from that side, but then also from the people watching the practice live, so on and so forth. Like Love Tuesday, I, I think you're right, had an up and down day. I saw a lot of praise for him on Tuesday, but I thought it was largely a day where you could tell he wasn't on the same page with the with the wide receiver group that they had. There were a lot of miscommunications and in one-on-ones and whatnot, which is fine. Yeah. I mean, I totally expect some of that in day one. I'm not going to knock a guy for it. He's not going to hurt his stock because of that. But I did think that he had a down day. When you look at Jordan Love and you look at the other quarterbacks that have select, been selected in the first round, we were talking about this last night at, at, at Veets, yeah. Paxton Lynch went yeah. first round. I think Jordan Love has a real possibility to go high in this draft. So along with Justin Herbert, do you think Love is the other guy that's going round one from this group of quarterbacks? From this group, yeah. I mean, I think those will be the only two that will go in the first round. You know, Justin Herbert and Jordan Love. But when you think about the first round of this draft, there might be four to five quarterbacks taken. Because you look, obviously, Burrow at one. You know Tua, if the hip checks out, is going to the top five, whether it's at three to a team getting ahead of a Miami Dolphins, whether it's the Miami Dolphins at three, whether it's the Dolphins at five. Two is probably going in there if that hip checks out. Then you've got the Chargers at six. They might go quarterback. We know Rivers has already moved, packed up the, the basketball team, the, the hockey team, whatever you want to call it. The entire crew he's got rolled the RV out to Florida, so he's gone. So Chargers at six is a huge possibility. Carolina at seven. Does Matt Rule want his quarterback? And so then you're looking at maybe you've got Herbert going to one of those teams, maybe a Jacob Eason or a Jordan Love there. And then you get through 12, 13, and 14 is another fascinating portion of this first round. Mm. The Vegas, Oakland, L.A., whatever they're called, Raiders. They're at 12. Colts at 13. Frank Reich probably wants his quarterback. The Jacoby Brissett experiment seems to be over. And then what does Tampa Bay do at 14? And sure, there are free agency dominoes to fall. Maybe Rivers goes there, but 
you're, if you're moving on from Winston, Rivers is a stopgap. You might want to get a guy there. And th- there's, what, how many? Four, five, six landing spots in the top 15 picks for quarterbacks? Yeah. And then get to the back half of the draft. Hmm. You know, you've got the Raiders again at 19 if they don't do it earlier. New England at 23. New Orleans hmm. at 24. Like, there are teams, Tennessee at 29. Maybe they roll with Tannehill, but they still want to get some insurance for him. Green Bay at 30 because Rodgers is done. So, you know, there are all these sort of teams that could address quarterback in the first round. And you can start to see a scenario where four or five guys come off the board in the first round at this position because it always happens. Tim Tebow was a first-round quarterback. Yep. Christian Ponder was a first-round quarterback. E.J. Emanuel got drafted early. Paxton Lynch, like you mentioned. These guys rise up boards. So it will happen again. So those are the quarterbacks that we think are going to go in the first round from this group. When we come back, we'll discuss some, uh, some maybe some guys for uh, day three for the Eagles. That's coming up next here on the QB's Go Show. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 50, SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist here with my man, Mark Schofield, down in Mobile, Alabama. We are recording after day two, before day three of the Senior Bowl practices. Been a great time. And let's go with the North roster as far as guys that might be interesting in day three for the Eagles or, you know, other teams trying to develop a quarterback or get some insurance. With the North team left from Jordan Love is Anthony Gordon from Washington State, who I love because he's a maniac. And then Shea Patterson from Michigan, who probably doesn't belong here. Mark, do you agree with that? (laughs) I think in large part I do. It was interesting. We were talking about this last night at Feats. Patterson... We were making fun of him before Tuesday practices started. But out of this North group, he was a little bit better than we expected. Yeah. But then reality set in. And I sort of – I wrote about this over Pro Football Weekly uh, for Wednesday. It reminded me in a sense of I, I don't know anything about tennis. I am completely uninformed when it comes to watching tennis. But I've got some family friends that are huge in the tennis world. Uh, until they had kids and stuff, we would meet because they live down in Australia. But they would come stateside for the U.S. Open. We'd meet in New York City. We'd go to the tennis. It'd be fantastic. And I remember sitting there watching Rafael Nadal in an early round against some unranked opponent. And Nadal's losing early. And I'm like, football guy, momentum is real. I'm like, Nadal's going to lose. And these two people, one of whom is like the CEO of Tennis Australia and his wife, they're like, no, this is what happens. These unknown guys, they come in, they flash for a few minutes, and then the athleticism, the traits, the ability, the skill set, the stamina of the elite players shines through. And sure enough, an hour later, Nadal just wiped the floor with this guy. And that's kind of how I felt watching this North team over the past two days because Patterson comes in, he looks okay, loves a bit shaky. Gordon is one hell of a roller coaster. (laughs) <laughs> but then reality sets in on Wednesday. Love looks much, much, much better. And Patterson sort of came back to earth. He is technically a quarterback. Mm. And we can leave it at that. Let's go to the South team roster where it's Steven Montez from Colorado, who, boy, uh, oh, his, boy. his first and second days were not great. Yeah. And then uh, Oklahoma quarterback, an interesting prospect, probably going to be a, a polarizing one, is Jalen Hurts, the former Alabama quarterback, went to Oklahoma. I mean, uh, for, for what I've seen from Hurts, 
He's shown pretty well. I struggled to project him to the next level. I we we've, we've both seen the Lamar Jackson comparison, which oh, we no. both think is just bonkers. But it's insane. Yeah, if there is anybody that he's kind of like, he's more he's more Dak Prescott than Lamar Jackson. We're not talking about like his ceiling or anything like that. Just the right. style of quarterback yeah. that he is, right? Yeah, I think that makes a lot more sense. And what's been interesting about Hurts is, look, when you start thinking about scheme fits, the guy throws a great deep ball. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like, he had some throws yesterday to guys like Mims and others where you were just like, man, he can drop it in a bucket. He can give you the vertical passing game. You know, if you're throwing the deep route, the seven route, the nine route, the goal route, the eight route, the post, he can do all, all sorts of things like that. Now, the timing and the rhythm and the precision, that's probably not his skill set. So, it, to go and take a step back for a second, if we're starting to think about day three or maybe late day two guys for Philadelphia – I think Jalen Hurts is perhaps the better quarterback than Anthony Gordon right now, at least from what we've seen this week. He's had a better week. I don't think he fits for what Doug Peterson and company want to do on offense. We've seen them, and we've talked about it this year, when they've gone aggressive, when they've gotten more vertical at times, it's worked. But we know where they want to be conceptually. They want to be quick, precise, get the ball out, in rhythm, timing, all that West Coast type stuff. That's really not Jalen Hurts. That's potentially more Anthony Gordon yeah. But like I said, he's a roller coaster. He had two absolute giggle worthy moments <laughs> during Wednesday's practice. First yeah. was during team where on a play action boot rollout concept, and man, they love practicing that stuff down yeah. here. But Goodness. they gotta roll it out. He puts a swim move with the ball in his hand over an edge defender who's unblocked, <laughs> then steps up and rifles a dig across and route in the midst of a, a pile of bodies <laughs> and somehow completes it. And it's a hilarious moment. But then five minutes later, he tries to throw a divide concept with the one guy running the corner, one guy in the post. They're both going to opposite sides of the field, and he throws it right down the middle. And I tried to post a video of it, and I had to put a not safe for work tag because everybody in the background is dropping F-bombs because it was ridiculous. And so he's been a roller coaster, but I think he's a Mike Leach quarterback who needs some technique and some footwork coaching and all that, that kind of stuff. But I think there's a good quarterback in there. And so... If I'm Howie, if I'm Doug, and it gets to be late day two, sometime on day three, I look more at Anthony Gordon than Hurts of the two. But I think both have an NFL future. With with Gordon, I mean, there's this whole discussion of, I would much rather have an aggressive quarterback like Gordon that I kind of have to coach down a little bit. Because I don't think conservative quarterbacks can ever be coached to be super aggressive. I mean, you can look at Alex Smith as an example. And yes, he had that one singular year in his career where he was pushing the ball downfield in the Kansas City offense where it's almost impossible not to with the talent and the scheme that they had there. But would you agree that with an aggressive quarterback, I can coach him down. I feel better about that. Yeah, exactly. And it's such a great point that you bring up there, Mike, because, you know, Alex Smith is sort of like the quintessential example of that. And let's not forget the reason he was able to get aggressive was twofold. One, you started to get some talent around him. They could push it vertically. and They had the ability to go downfield. And two, like everybody else, he was looking over his shoulder at a Pat, yep. superhuman and Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes, and he knew that he had to play better. Otherwise, it was going to be Mahomes' team sooner than everybody expected. And so, yeah, yeah it, it's when people are awkward and scared and cautious by nature, they don't become aggressive overnight. I say that as someone who is 
cautious and scared by nature and struggles to become aggressive overnight. Like it, yeah. it's human nature. It's much easier to be a daredevil and realize, okay, I can't get away with this anymore. And you taper things back. You be a little bit more cautious. It's much harder to sort of turn that notch up a bit. It was like me at Feast last night That's making exactly. good decisions. Making Aggressive good personality, decisions. <laughs> toning yeah. it down. So, Mark, that is going to do it for the QBS Go Show. A bit of a quick one because Mark is a busy man. He's got radio hits to do. We've got stuff to push out here at BGN. we got practices to think about, write about, all that stuff. But I thank you for joining me today. We'll be back next week with a, with a further breakdown of these senior bowl quarterbacks. We'll start to look around the league as well. And hopefully we have a resolution on the Eagles offensive coordinator position because we will break that down in depth as well. Thank you for joining us on the QB Sco Show. We will catch you next week. BGN. Hi, I'm Ben. I suffer from a condition called writer's block. It strikes when I'm at work. That's why I choose Canva Magic Write. It works fast, generating texts in seconds, thanks to AI. Common side effects include increased productivity, compliments from coworkers, feelings of satisfaction. Now I can say bye-bye to writer's block. Ask your boss if Canva Magic Write is right for you at canva.com, designed for work. Canva.